Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Out with Susie Ruffle. Well, guys, I was blown away by how many of you got in touch after last week's episode with Tom Allen. It was such a great episode. I was so proud of it. And I was so happy that I got to share one of my best friends with you all. So many emails and tweets and messages and lots of great reviews on iTunes, which really, really help. A couple of people have asked how to do this. So I'm going to tell you really, really quickly. Um, If you're in the podcast app, scroll down to the bottom to ratings and reviews, throw us some stars, preferably five, and then write a little message if you fancy. Okay, that's admin done, housekeeping done. Let's crack on with the show. This is episode five, and if you haven't listened to the first four, maybe have a listen after this. It's a collection of interesting and inspiring conversations with really brilliant guests. One of my favourite things about the podcast is the amount of you that have got in touch to share your stories with me. I'm getting emails every day from people all across the world sharing their coming out stories, and you can do this too. Just email hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. I've also received some gorgeous emails from family members and allies. One from a new mum who says that she listens to the show while she's nursing through the night. So um, hello to you if you're listening right now. And I hope that you get five hours of unbroken sleep tonight. Right, on to our correspondence from our brilliant listeners. The first one this week comes from Annie. I wanted to email to say how much I've been enjoying the new podcast, especially during lockdown. Its release has come at just the right time for me and so many others who are feeling a tad lonely and disconnected from the world. Earlier this week, I was listening to the latest episode with Tom Allen. It's been going round my head ever since. There are so many parallels between our upbringing and coming out stories. Through listening to the podcast, I've been inspired to share my own story with you in the hope that I can help others. Like Tom, I also grew up in suburbia, feeling as though the fun stuff and the cool people were living elsewhere, and my family situation echoed this entirely. My dad was a Catholic priest before he met my mum and left the church to become a lay member. Yes, seriously. So from Catholic schools to religious residentials, church was life, and I knew from a young age that it wasn't for me. I remember mentioning this on the playground in year six to a close friend of mine, that I thought was a lesbian. My friend proceeded to tell our teacher who took me to one side and told me the words gay and lesbian don't mean anything. Well, I knew deep down that they did. I kept my being gay a secret for a number of years and began to tell friends one by one at the age of 16, followed by my brother and even a few teachers from school. And I received nothing but support from them. Fast forward a few years and I was in the upper sixth and the BBC drama Call the Midwife had a lesbian storyline that really got the attention of many viewers like myself. I decided to write to Emerald Fennell, the actress portraying the role in the show, and received a written reply to my home address. At this point I wasn't out to either of my parents, nor was I in a comfortable position to reveal this part of myself to them. The letter is still one of my most treasured possessions. Emerald sympathised with my struggles and wanted to recognise my bravery to that point and that there would always be people that would accept me. It brought me a ghost hug just when I needed it. I knew that coming out to my parents would be the next hurdle. My mum had placed the letter on my desk earlier in the day and as is her inquisitive nature, she of course asked me who was writing to me. So I decided to bite the bullet and tell her I was gay as I can't lie for toffee. She sat in the room speechless and looked at me with sad, disappointed eyes. 
Her first remarks was that I didn't give off any gay vibes, but she was more worried that at 18 years of age, I wasn't sure who I was and that I shouldn't go and put labels on myself before going off to university and getting some life experience. Above all, she advised me not to tell my dad, as she knew he wouldn't take it well. Going to uni was the best thing ever. I truly felt like I could be my authentic self, free from restrictions and the discomfort that I felt in my family home. I lived abroad for a year, met my current girlfriend and successfully felt wholly happy for the first time in memory, an unbeatable feeling. Although my mum has improved in terms of her acceptance of me, my dad still doesn't know that I'm a lesbian and currently I'm in lockdown with them for reasons beyond my control. I know they love me, but if dad knew this part of me, I honestly think he might not ever want to see me again and I'm not ready to take that risk just yet. Although lockdown is suffocating for all of us, it makes it a bit more bearable with this thrown into the mix. Your podcast has really been like a lifeline for me over the last three weeks. I've loved hearing about other people's journeys and that there are such good, true people in the world who just want equality and happiness for all. Thank you so much for getting in touch, Annie. Um, that was a beautiful letter. Also, I absolutely love Call the Midwife. It's one of my favourite shows. I've seen every single episode. I love it. It's my dream to be in it. I'm yet to get a phone call from a casting director. Um, and I'm actually friends with Emerald's sister. So I passed on um, how much that letter helped. And uh, Emerald said that she was very touched and very happy that her, her letter helped you. Um, here's another letter from Josh. I want to say I've been enjoying your podcast so much. Thank you very much, Josh. Cheers for saying that. It's refreshing to be able to listen to a relaxed and yet sophisticated conversation on queer topics. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever been called sophisticated, but I do love that. Whilst I'm either right, revising for exams or just sat in my room, which is most of the time. I knew I was gay from a young age. I was 12 when I knew what the strange feelings I'd been having for boys in my school for a while meant. Growing up as a very masculine gay man in rural Suffolk was particularly isolating, as I knew of very few gay people. The only gay people I did know were more effeminate, which isn't meant to be a criticism in any way at all, but it led me to believe, and that was because of the only sort of gay representation on TV show and in films, was that a gay man was meant to be camp and effeminate, which I'm not. I therefore thought that I was too masculine to be gay. I played rugby for both my school and a local team, so I could easily slip into a straight persona, which helped me in a way. One thing that helped me and gave me hope for a better future was knowing of the Welsh rugby player Gareth Thomas's story, as he was someone I could in some way relate to. I first came out to my best friend at age 16 and will be forever touched by her support. Soon after I also came out to my parents, it was then another two years until I was finally comfortable enough with who I am to come out publicly in sixth form. I was so lucky to find it so welcoming as my friends were all so kind and supportive. I'm 20 now and in my second year of university, which is so freeing as I can finally be me. I also met my incredible boyfriend who I've been with for 15 months now. Josh, thank you so much for your email. It was really lovely to receive. And I think that you're not alone. I think many, many gay men really connected with Gareth Thomas's story because they maybe don't fit into what a stereotypical idea of what a gay man should be. I love Gareth Thomas. It's actually one of my dreams to get him on the show. So if anyone that listens knows him, do get in touch. I think he's brilliant. Right, finally, I loved this story from Caroline. It was so beautifully written and full of love. I thought I'd share an extra one with you this week. The morning after the night I came out to my mother, she woke me up laying a honeysuckle flower on my pillow. I love you, she said, and stroked my cheek. I had butterflies in my stomach. Thank you, I said, smiling up at her. That was a morning unlike any other that had come before, or any that will come again for me. It was beautiful, and I have never imagined it could be so beautiful. Subsumed as I had been for a long time in shame and self-loathing, I don't love you anymore, are the words I'd imagined. Because of that, I believe right down to my root tips that nobody, least of all the woman who made me, would ever love me for who I really was, a lesbian. I grew up in a tiny village in the north of Ireland. I'm one of five children. When I was about nine years old, my elder sister said to me, you know one in five people are gay, so it must be you in our family. She was joking, and I didn't know what gay was at the time, but I was absolutely terrified. I remember this visceral feeling of fear in my stomach, because gay was something you didn't want to be. Gay was wrong, 
Gay was disgusting. It's so hard to explain to people who don't grow up gay how the shame seeps into you, how insidious and malevolent it is, how you unconsciously absorb the subliminal messages of hate and unworthiness that are all around you, how you absorb them into your psyche and they become your opinions. And so you hate yourself. I'm wrong. I'm disgusting. When I realised years later that my sister had been right and that I was the gay one, the fear and panic and the shame was so overwhelming that I sunk, as many do, deep into denial. I remember one Christmas night when I was 17, murdered with that most classic of hopeless lesbian situations, unrequited love for my straight best friend. I resigned myself to a life of denial and secrecy and self-abasement. I will marry a man, I thought to myself as I stared into a knothole in the ceiling above my bed. I will marry a man and I will have lots of babies and nobody will ever know. This did bring relief, but it was fleeting. And once its soothing balm wore off, I was once again engulfed by panic and pain and inconsolable loneliness that comes with harbouring a secret so big. I moved to London when I was 19. To my horror and delight, beautiful women everywhere. I simply couldn't deny it any longer. I was gay, really gay and really afraid and really lonely. London liberated me to admit my sexuality to myself, but I didn't want to admit it to anyone else because then it would really be true. It would really be real. And I wasn't sure that I could handle that. But this is the thing with secrets. They come out one way or another. Mine grew and grew and grew until I couldn't keep it inside me anymore. And so a year of coming out ensued. And it always went like this. Get blackout drunk, come out to someone, cry, run off, wake up having a panic attack. I never felt unburdened after these encounters, but more encumbered, more ashamed, more embarrassed and more alone. I hadn't really wanted to tell anyone. I'd gotten drunk and vomited it all up against my will. These were all practice runs for telling the one person that I needed to tell in order to begin to heal from the shame and self-loathing that was destroying me. The only person that really mattered to me, my mother. My eldest sister instructed me not to be drunk when I told her, which was good advice, because I needed to remember this one. Every second of it needed to be crystal clear in my memory, whether it went well or not. And so the night came. I had a few glasses of wine and we were sitting in a pub after dinner. I turned around to her and I said, I have something to tell you. What is it? She said. I hesitated for a moment. I'm gay, I said. She looked at me and smiled, a smile that I'll never forget because it was all I needed to know without her even speaking. It was a smile of pure love. That is so you, she said and kissed me. And then I woke up the next morning with her laying a honeysuckle on my pillow. That was 10 years ago now. And still to this day, my mother feels a sadness that I waited so long to tell her that she was the last to know, not the first. But I explained to her she was the last to know because she was the most important. She hates that I felt shame and that I had to suffer. She can't understand why I hated myself so much. I grew you gay, she likes to say with pride. And now every time I see a honeysuckle, I'm reminded, even though my heart can never forget, that she loves me just the way I am, just the way she grew me. Of course, I didn't start loving myself the minute I told my mother and she accepted me. It took years to accept myself. It's so hard to shake that inherent feeling of unworthiness, separateness and shame that you carry around with you for so long. And I can truly say now that I love who I am and I wouldn't change my sexuality for anything. But I only very recently realised that young version of me is still inside me. She doesn't love herself. She's lonely and afraid and insecure. And I realise now that it wasn't my mother or anyone else that needed to love her. It was me. All along, it was me. And I do now. I've got her. She's going to be okay. Oh, Caroline. Beautiful. And your mum sounds amazing. Um, thank you so much for sending that in. Thank you everyone that sent in their stories and I'm going to try and get through as many as possible before the end of the series. And if you're listening to this months and months later, still send them in. I still want to hear them. Okay, on to today's interview. 
Isla Holdham is an ex-RAF pilot. She is now a police search and rescue pilot. She also happens to be trans. I heard Isla speak at the Stonewall Quality Dinner last year, and I thought she shared her story so eloquently. As soon as the pod started, I knew she would be a great guest. In this episode, we talk about coming out, of course, but also being a role model and people's expectations. We also mention a newspaper article. To give you a little context, Isla worked alongside Prince William during her time in the RAF. The Sun newspaper outed her with a grotesque front page article, which you'll hear about, and she handled with grace. I loved this chat with Isla, and I'm sure you will too. Isla Holdham, Chair of Stonewall Trans Advisory Group, Patron of the Mermaids Charity, recipient of an Attitude Pride Award, a British LGBT Award for Inspirational Role Model. You were featured in the 2014 and 2015 Rainbow List and you have an Air Officer's Commanding Commendation. Isla, welcome to the show. Now, that's sort of a bio way to describe you. How would you describe yourself? Sounds great when you put it like that, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's good. It's impressive, actually. <laughs> Well done. You um, must be know, well, hey, well done me. Um, how would I describe myself? Do you know, I describe myself as a helicopter pilot first. That's, that's I guess, great. And I happen to be trans. Yeah, sure. I'm interested in the helicopter pilot bit. <laughs> I mean, I'm interested in both, of I, course. I but... never get to talk about helicopters. I love helicopters. Please do. But everyone asks me about the trans stuff. I mean, if we, if we could do an hour on helicopters, that'd be great. OK, well, I might have to cover some of the trans <laughs> stuff too. Yeah. But I'm really happy to talk about helicopters as well. First of all, where did you grow up? Uh, so I was born, grew up in Somerset. Very nice. uh, on a yeah small small farm. Oh, call it a farm. It was a small holding. We had like five acres, which mm-hmm. for Somerset is tiny. Okay, and uh, I was you know miles away from my nearest school friends. So my best friends so were the goats. Yep, yeah, I read that. I was going to and ask you about your best friends being the goats. Yeah, that was childhood. Really, was was and out in the sticks and running around and fields. Brother and yeah, yeah I'm, just... I'm the youngest. Um, they always cringe when I mention this, but um, when I oh god, I must have been. Seven or eight, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad was with one of his friends, and they were joking, and happened to drop in. I was uh, was was the mistake because I'm number three, uh, uh, and there's right. ten years between me and my sister. And at the time, I thought I just laughed at it. I didn't realise what that meant. Years later. I put the thing on text. And you, you realise your mum and dad were shagging for fun. It was a joke. But, you know, <laughs> it's like, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. That's nice. So I guess my question... I love my parents. Uh, I, 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 I've seen uh, them being interviewed and they seem like absolute legends, I've got to say. Um, the question I always ask is, at what point did you know that you were different? I mean, since I was very young, you know, mm-hmm. but but I assumed that everyone felt the same. Yeah. So I assumed that me feeling different was normal, if you, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I didn't have a language for it. I couldn't put it in in context, or I didn't have any certainly didn't have any trans role models. They didn't exist back in the nineties. No, absolutely. Um, so, in hindsight, and possibly a bit of rose tinted glasses as well, I could say I felt different since my earliest memories, you no know, five or six. Uh, and now I can think, ah, that's probably because. I was trans. Yes. But I didn't actually sort of come out to myself as trans, if you like, until my mid-twenties. Right, OK. What were you like as a teenager? Swatty. Right. Quite, quite bookish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And where did you go to uni? Uh, I went to the Grand University of Plymouth. I wanted to be a vet. Right, OK. Right up until I realised I wasn't clever enough at uh, A-levels. Right. Sure, 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 sure. Sure, 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 sure. Much to my mum's disappointment. Well, that's like I wanted um, to be a nurse until I realised that the people in Holby City were actors and then I was like, oh, that'll do. <laughs> yeah. I could pretend to be a nurse. I could pretend yeah. to be a nurse. That's Absolutely. a lovely thing to do. Let's do that. I mean, I'm still hoping that one day I might get cast in Holby. Keep dropping the line. Absolutely. They'll pick you up one day. Um, I read that you said that you... Uh, you did all like the normal things, like the box ticking mm. things in the hope to go. I tried. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I totally, like, I totally identify with that because when I moved to London, I had a boyfriend and spoiler alert, it, I had, I had it, didn't, it no. didn't end well. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so you sort of did university, then you went into the military. Uh-huh. And I was quite, I was wondering about this. I was thinking about this on the way in. Do you think that the military was something to do with, like, was the regiment and, like, how life is, you know, exactly what you're doing and it's all... Um, and there is this sort of narrative that, you know, as for trans women particularly, that it's, um, or you know, you're over masculinizing or you're joining that because it's, you know, escaping femininity. But that's almost nonsense because, you know, there are plenty of women in the military. It's not, a, yeah, it's not an anti-feminine or non-feminist place, you know. Yeah. I wondered whether it was, you know, like having to wear a uniform... Sort of takes out of your head. Yeah, but I hated all. I, I was. A, you I, was hated a, it? I was rubbish in the military. Honestly, I was a very unmilitary military officer. Really? Um, I, yeah, it wasn't a natural fit. I think I did it because I, I wanted to help the world. I wanted to, you know, do something that I felt would change or, or have a, a positive impact. And yeah. so you were in the RAF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Driving 
flying, dri- not driving. Dri- driving helicopters, dri- Driving yeah. helicopters. Do you drive them? <laughs> no, no, you don't drive them a little bit. They're not like planes. You just lift straight up. So did you always want to be a pilot? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So, so I joined the RAF basically because I wanted to fly. You How know, long like, does it take you to learn to fly? The RAF training, it depends on what route you take, but somewhere between two and five years, I guess. Right, OK. I, I was about five years because there were some you know, breaks in between training. Mm-hmm. I, I started off on fast jet because, you, you know, typical military mechanism stuff, you have to sort of say, yes, I want to be. And the default is you have to be a fast jet pilot. That's, OK. That's what you know, all, all want to be the, you know, the, okay. the, the tornado or the typhoon pilot. And that's, is that like Top Gun stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, for the, for the layman like me it's it's the top gun stuff when you join when you when you read the glossy brochure that's the dream right okay great. and then you quickly join and realize oh there's an awful lot of studying <laughs> right okay so, and, and it's so very goose, very sensible goose <laughs> so, and maverick were lying a little bit okay yeah they, they wouldn't have actually got on very well i don't think okay <laughs> they've sure. been fired quite early but that's the dream and, and actually i love the applying yourself in that way being very disciplined and yeah and you know performing as, as much as you can restretching yourself i guess so I started off on that journey. At some point, RAF said, actually, guys, we've got too many jet pilots. Uh-huh. So you, you and you, uh, where would you like to go otherwise? And I said, actually, I've always wanted to be a helicopter pilot. Great. I'd never liked to say before. And luckily, that was a, an option that came up. Now, you said before, and I, I know we are going to continue talking about helicopters, I promise. <laughs> but the trans stuff is knocking on the door as well. Oh. So it was whilst you were in the RAF that you came out? When you... Yeah, it was it was some time into my RAF career. It's about halfway right. through. So I, I okay. just finished. I basically finished training. I'd been on the front line, if you like, of, of search and rescue flying. Oh, wow, for about a year. So it was during that time that you, I guess, first of all, had to come out to yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's definitely a part of it, isn't it? The, the first journey is going. Oh, I think I. Yeah, coming out to yourself, forgiving yourself a little bit. Actually, I, I had to. Mm, absolutely, because you were married. Yeah, I was married. Um, I, dis- I think I discovered that I was probably trans in mm-hmm. some way or form in my university years. So before I joined the Air Force. Right, OK. Um, and I'd always identified as bisexual or something. So I'd, my sexuality was kind of a, a fuzziness that I didn't really need to worry about. Particularly. Okay. I just, you know, some people I fancied and some people I didn't. Absolutely. My gender, I was, I kind of realised that I was probably trans, but we had this stereotype that I thought, well, I can't be that Jerry Springer sob story or or piece of ridicule. I mean, because you've got to remember as well the timing. So around about when would that yeah, have been? Yeah, uh, university like 2000, 2003. I mean, yeah, a horrific time. It was horrific. I, I didn't have any role models. I didn't know what a, what a professional, you know, inverted commas, normal trans person Absolutely. looked like. You know? And I guess you, and you can't, and I, I mean, people say this about a lot of things, but you can't be what you can't see. You can't. So at that point at university, you thought... I'm going to oh, I thought shut I'd down shut that up. down, hide that away. No one can know about this, especially or even myself. I, I can't And, I mean, that's where shame lives, that. isn't it? Of course it does. That's where all the... OK, well, like, I must hide this. Don't let anyone know. I'm yeah. terrified people are going to find out. Can they tell I'm different? Just it's the constantly... Well, I found constantly checking my own behaviour, going, oh, oh don't God, you? Yeah, yeah. Have, has that girl that I'm at drama school with realised how much I look at her? Oh, my God. I know. I need to yeah, sure. And you start comparing yourself to others and checking, yeah. your, as you say, checking your behaviour. Is, is this normal? Should I, should I be doing it? I don't know, yeah. but should I be doing this? And then, yeah, and then that's when, well, for me, certainly, and I mean, it's, I'm sure it's uh, difficult to imagine now because I'm very loud and out, but that's when I became sort of really inverted and was like, oh, God, I don't want anyone to know anything about Were you really quiet at that time of life? I think I became... I think I became a lot quieter and I think I became, I mean, for a very long time, and I sort of feel some shame around this now, I, when I first sort of started coming out, I became really, there was part of me that kept saying things like, I'm gay, but I'm not going to be someone that just talks about it all the time. I mean, hi, welcome to the podcast. But I I became like, there was like uh, an internalised homophobia around it because I didn't want to only be gay. You know, I know now that I'm, that's not the only thing about me, but I was so worried that I was going to be this sort of joke idea of what a lesbian was. And, you know, being someone that's in performing, you know, consistently being the punchline, being uh-huh. the sob story, being the thing that everyone laughs at. And, I mean, I feel like for trans people, and, um, I mean, I was about to say then, but unfortunately, I feel like in some cases now still, it feels like that is often the storyline. It certainly can be, yeah, absolutely, yeah. still. Yeah, um, I mean, but, but it can be for, you know, if you... If you Gay as well. If you're Absolutely. Like, you, you, like I say, it's, it's very often still the punchline, as you say. Even even if you're telling the jokes, you, you find yourself, find yourself writing that in, and it's really difficult to get that framing right. Isn't Absolutely, it? yeah. Absolutely. So, university, you're like, nah, I'm not dealing with that. 
don't want any of that. Yeah, no, not, thanks. Not interested. Not uh, interested. Well, I am interested, but yeah. I'm interested. But I'm pretending <laughs> but, I'm not interested but, but, because I'm, I'm going to do everything in my power to pretend that I'm not interested. But I was hoping if, if I really focus on, you know, uh, like do the university thing, like join the military, like really apply myself to various things. You know, I've met Ren, uh, my wife. I met yep. her at university. We got married. We got engaged. You know, during after university, and um, you know, I was applying myself to life and thinking that at some point. It's all going to come together and it'll feel right. Yeah, and that'll go away. If Seven I really years later, focus, it didn't. Yeah, if <laughs> so I really focus on learning to fly a plane, yeah, yeah. I bet I won't feel trans. Yeah, and then... And like for three years, that really worked. Oh, wow, really? Because it, it took up a lot of your capacity, turns out. Wow, so, that's yeah, so interesting. For like three years, I, I couldn't really think about much else because actually most of life, most of my waking hours were worried about my next test or... Because you know you're never more literally than, flying a plane. Oh, they, they will say you're never more than three flights away from losing your job. You know you're you're always being assessed, and and that focuses the mind slightly. It was a, a definite distraction, but I knew it okay. was always lingering there, really waiting to be dealt with. So you know, I was just kicking the can down the road. And then a time obviously came when you thought I'm I'm going to have to well I, confront so this. I actually came out um, I guess in stage. I was trying to again stereotypes and everything else. I was trying to protect. Um, my family, my, my career and everything else. So I, I, I basically did the sort of, well, I, I came out to Ren first. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were engaged at the time. And I came out as, um, you know, I, I found on the internet a support group and everything else. And I, I sort of did some photographs and everything else, just sort of in, in a dress or something. Yeah. Uh, that was my sort of coming out to Ren was, you know, I'd like to show you this thing. Really sorry, but I have, we have to talk about this. This wow. is a, a thing. You must have been uh, oh gosh, terrified. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, but you know, it's it, it was at that stage, and you know, this was um, halfway through my my flying training. It wasn't like I could keep, keep kicking down the road. You know, I, I had to I had to start addressing this at least to some degree yes. to be myself a little bit. Absolutely, and um, and to do that first and foremost with the person I loved and trusted most in the world. Absolutely, was was the right thing to do. It felt like lying to not be open and honest with her. So yeah, that that was a terrifying moment. But I mean, Ren's. Brilliant. I mean, she, she, like myself, she's always identified as, as bisexual. Not, not that that necessarily, but it made the logistics easier. I sure. Guess. Yeah, I've seen Ren being interviewed on your. Is it called My Generation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she just seems she's, brilliant. Yeah, she's my she great. And and then was it a slow process of telling? Because here's a here's a question: Did some people assume when you started coming out as a trans woman that that meant that your marriage? was over i still think I, th- I think even today like right 10 15 years later i don't think people know how to categorize our relationship sometimes right, okay for you know, various reasons but um so certainly back then the assumption was well that's your marriage over then isn't it you know very much this moment of initially coming out to ren was um that, that was a very small collection of, of like her and and my sister basically right, okay. and, and our trans friends that i'd come out to so you um, had a couple of trans friends. Oh yeah, absolutely. Through the magic of the internet, of course, I'd now found people that were well, like, like you. Oh, you're like me. That's I'm not. I'm not completely alien. Oh, and, and that's an amazing feeling, isn't it? Yeah. Great. So you found this sort of the beginnings of your support network. Yeah, but it was very. It was very sort of you know mustn't mustn't let the secret. It was a secret to keep. You know, for all the stereotypes and, and yeah. fear of that. I did eventually come out to about a year later. Came out to my parents, right? Because I, I, expanding this, you know, circle of love sort of thing. I wanted to sort of be honest with them as well. Of course. Uh, again, you know, sat on the kitchen table, shaking like a leaf, coming out to them. The only foothold I could get was to say to mum and dad, "Right, I've got this thing to tell you. Do you know who Eddie is? I do. That's literally you know all, how that's he the sometimes only thing. I know exactly. And, and dad came back with, "Oh, he's gay, isn't he?" I said, "No. Well, th- that's not it. That's, that's no, nothing that's to not do with thing. this." Um, I mean, did they briefly think you were about to tell them? I think they, I think they thought they assumed I was going to come out as, as gay or, or something. But right, anyway, okay. anyway I, I just said, look, I'm, I'm I'm transgender. It means this. It's nothing to worry about. So initially, I was like, guys, don't worry. I'm not going to, you know, fall off the face of the earth or be you know, lose my job or, or become a different person or anything. You know, it's just this is me. Don't, don't worry about it. By this point, when you're saying losing your job, had you come out to anyone nope. in the RAF? Not at all. Because I know that there have been. Other trans women in the yeah. I mean, certainly more now. It's something that you read about more and more. But this must have also been around the time of "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." So, and so I know that stuff was, was happening in America. Yeah, yeah, but it was the same sort than, of time. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we constantly hear what's happening across the pond. So it must have been. Mm. Was there part of you that was worried about so, work stuff? Yes, I was mainly because of the way that the wider society was talking about trans people or trans subjects. You know, still, as, as a massive point of ridicule. By this stage, I was really confident in myself. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, I was starting to think, 
there's, there's no taboo here. Why, why am I ashamed of any of this? This is yeah. this is a nonsense to be ashamed of it. Totally. Um, so I was definitely coming myself coming to that um, way of thinking, and, and yeah, and Ren, Ren definitely was as, as well. But yeah, because of this wider society thing, I was I was very loath to test that anywhere else. Of course. However, I mean, this was like 2008 ish. Okay. I'd actually I'd met trans women, particularly in in the air force, before this. So wow. trans people were have had the policy to allow them to serve openly in the military since 1999. Amazing. Which you know was was Great. brilliant. Which felt like a no-brainer to me. I was like, well, of course of we course, do. Why, yeah. why wouldn't why we? Would but of course you? that was a that was a massive deal. Um, it came through EU laws and about workplace discrimination, mm -hmm. and, and out of that, um, Lady Cor uh, Cas Page, uh, flight attendant so Caroline had Page, met wrote these this. Women. I'd met, yeah, I'd met met Caroline, for example, out in um, uh, Iraq. Oh right, uh, did, wow, did, did okay. A, did a short stint out there, and and Caroline was passing through, and wow, trans women, okay, but professional and and respected and everything else. So I actually met, and I started to have a role model of focal points for sure. Trans people can be more than Jerry Springer. Absolutely. That was the start of reframing it in my own head. Well, I, I mean, yeah, there must be a huge part of that. So you obviously told your mum and dad. Was that a bit of a journey for them as well? It was a journey for them as well, absolutely. And, oh, mum and dad, I'm so sorry, but <laughs> it's part of the story. Sure. Um, it is that, that first time coming out to them, you know, oh, oh don't worry, we, we love you very much. You know, we've, had, we've got a very really close loving family. It's, we, we don't have drama or, or, or friction in, in the family, which is great. And, you know, mum did say but we don't need to talk about this again do we i was like yeah but that's that's kind of not the point the whole so, point was to not have a secret so it was her assumption that it would then be something that would you yeah would just I mean, do sort of privately or I, it yeah it was ultimately yeah yeah at home the, the, yeah what you, it, you know the old the old adage of what what you do behind closed doors don't don't you know we don't but we don't need to know about it you know it's right, like okay. well, that's that's Absolutely not the point. This is about me and life and, yeah, and normality, if of you like. Of course, yeah. Um, it's not some weird thing to do behind closed doors. Absolutely. You know, people um, have said that to all types of, of course queer people yeah, for years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, know. you married to a woman, oh, what you do behind closed doors? It's absolutely just, I don't yeah, need to know about don't it. Don't need to rub it in your face and all that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. But And, and yeah, and, and you know, it was about a year after that, I then came out and said, look, actually, this it just hurts being in this halfway house if you like you know i'm not i'm not me i'm not being honest with the world i i'm i'm going to transition i've been i got my doctor's note by that stage from right, okay. to say i have gender dysphoria therefore you know, it's, it's a real and, thing guys and so know. for those for, for people that are listening um who um maybe don't know many trans people or don't really know yeah sort of all the ins and outs of it so you go to the doctor and you tell them that how you're feeling at the moment yeah yes i, I mean it's, and it's really important i i've that last sentence I gave was, was very flippant and yes. deliberately so, but um, it's not every trans person has gender dysphoria, which is the medical medicalised right, okay. term. I, I always, I always, not everyone does, but I, I always like to group it into like three three separate, you know, these, these, the Venn diagram of okay. gender. Great. So you, you gender identity, who you are inside, you can't mm -hmm. change that, that's innate and, and so on. Um, gender expression, you know, how you choose to present to the world. Right. Today, tomorrow might change over time. Sure. And that's how the world interacts with you. Mm -hmm. And gender dysphoria is something that that deep feeling of of um it's really difficult to describe if you haven't had it okay um but it's it's just a, a fundamental pain with your body your core how how the world's treating you your gender basically the, the yeah. assumptions that you know in my case the world was expecting me to be a guy a boy yeah because why wouldn't they you know statistically they were expect, expecting me to be mm -hmm. but i wasn't and and that just caused so much pain no, no amount of you know gender expression could could overcome that. You yeah, know that, that gender dysphoria was something that actually I needed um, medical help for. Actually. Yeah, and and thankfully that was available. Before you began that journey, had you come out to your friends at work, or were you having a break? So, from so work, that, that was you... exactly that time. So right. um, I, I, maybe, maybe this is the, you know, the, the the military officer that wanted to sort of get things all neat and lined up, Let's get, get the, my admin yeah, sorted, get the ducks in a row. Um, so yeah, so I got my, you know, and not everyone who's trans has gender dysphoria. You know, that's not that's not a prerequisite right. for being trans or for okay. being or for you know being you. You know, because the whole thing is a spectrum. As soon as, sorry, and when you say not all trans people have gender dysphoria, does that mean they're okay? Okay with their bodies, yeah, or absolutely right. Sure, it's like, just, you know, I'm, I'm, this, this is I'm really comfortable with my body, with 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 me, with my presentation, with however I'm making the world work. Or sure, fit okay, great. Is, yeah. is, is not causing me discomfort yeah. enough to you know have you know, hormones or surgery or whatever is applicable absolutely, to that person. It's yeah. all this is the spectrums across all of this, which is why category categories are useful for shortcutting conversations. Absolutely. 
but they're really useless when it comes to describing people because we don't fit and into neat no boxes. And there's no nuance, is no, there? You know, you can't... But for me, there was, yes. there was gender dysphoria. Yeah, and that was, my, that was my point of saying, OK, boss, I've been diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Here's the policy document to show you what that's going to mean, what might happen. Right. Let's have a practical conversation about that. OK. And, um, uh, you know, he was wide-eyed, obviously, a bit sort of rabbit in the headlights, but he was... He was one of the best bosses I've ever had. He was my rock throughout this whole period. Amazing. Um, but between did, us, he, did, did he just try to get it right? Was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because I feel like that's a. I think that's a conversation that I've had before with sort of my trans friends of saying, I think sometimes, certainly when it's a new thing, people are trying. As long as people are trying to do the right thing, that's all that we can do. I you know, think so. It's, it's it's so easy to get because it, it's you know the uh, misunderstanding or the um, or, or even you know, deliberate. Um, misunderstandings oh, yeah. is is so prevalent, particularly at the moment. Actually, mm. that it's it's really easy to get uh, to be very sensitive to that, and I I understand that. I feel it myself. But uh, I, I've always found that you know a, li- a little bit of tolerance or forgiveness for someone's you know the heart's in the right place. They're trying. They just haven't got it right this time. Yeah, is workable. Oh, well, I think that's a more hopeful way. Yeah, to look at the world. It's, and I, I mean, it's a it's a it's a more pleasant way to, <laughs> to try and absolutely. get through. And so then, presumably, you had a bit of a break from work. Well, I, I was offered that, right? But, you know, I was so I said I've been a year on on search and rescue by this stage. Um, you know, I've been I've been flying. I got to know my my flight mates, and I loved the job. I loved what we were doing. It was yeah. it was you know. It sounds really exhilarating. Yeah, uh, it, it was. You know, we, we tend to get called out in 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 the worst weather. And, yeah, of course. Because uh, so like that's that's where people, people get broken or lost. And stuff, or, and yeah. So up mountains, out to out to sea to pick up people off boats, and you know, in in good weather, bad weather, day or night. So and that, also, that's you're doing life saving work. And and you're going out to to find people who are in like having the worst day of their life. Yeah. And you know, may well not survive or or anything. If you if you can't get to them or if you can't help mountain rescue or someone else, you know, if you can't, the team can't yeah. rescue them. Then yeah, absolutely. And that's why at the beginning of it the... was important work. Conversation, you said, well, I describe myself as a pilot. <laughs> that's but that's the thing, because there's so much wrapped up in that, that it sure. is about saving lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't tend to... I, the, the joke is, how do you know there's a pilot in the room? Because they've told you. Right, okay. uh, <laughs> and I'd, I'd much rather do that than to walk into the room and say, hi, guys, I'm the trans one. Um, <laughs> I quite like you walking in a room like that. Um, so, yeah, but I, 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 I love the job. I lo- I, it felt important what we were doing. I didn't want to give that up. Right. And I didn't feel that my being trans should should get in the way of that. You know, my brain wasn't changing. And, no, absolutely. And my, my, my skill set wasn't changing. So, you know, why should that get in the way? So I was offered, you know, possibly for my benefit, possibly for the benefit of my command chain, would you like to go somewhere else and maybe transition in a, in a different part of the country, a different unit, oh, maybe right. on, a, on a ground So you would turn up and, and that was, as... And that was an option for Yeah, me, OK. Uh, which, you know, it may have been suitable for me to take. You know, it might have been right for me. But, you know, I said, no, my, my, my friends here, my colleagues here, I love this job. If we can make this work, then I'd, I'd really like to just stay doing my job. Great. And um, I was really, other than, you know, like two months off for various surgeries. Sure. I kept flying. I wouldn't say it was a walk in the park, but it was workable. Is there a different uniform for women? There is, yeah. So did you... So I <laughs> a couple of days. Like... Yeah, yeah. So so I, I people like to see a transition as a nice neat line in the sand. So you know, of on, course, yeah, on I mean... Friday we'll call you Jeff, and on on, <laughs> on Monday you'll come back and we'll call you Susan or something. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, so I didn't pick Susan deliberately, but no, no, no. I, no it's <laughs> fine. It's funny because I was thinking Susan as you said. It, I thought, yeah. wow, we're really connecting over this interview. It's great, but. Um, yeah, uh, people like that sort but, of. But there isn't a line in the sand. You know, I, I feel the same now as I did when I was nine or nineteen or whatever. You know, yeah, I, I'm the same core person. The world sees me differently now. I, the transition isn't a transition for anyone other than an observer. I always. Oh, think, that's so interesting. You know, I, I I've just come out. I've just disclosed who I am and and aligned my body, my hormones, whatever. And you feel to a make, more comfortable to, to make what you're wearing my interaction now with like the your, world better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And you like your clothes more now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They're more expensive, but <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you did they say okay? Well, here's your. Yeah, so, so I so I um I had to go. So I, the reason for that that conversation was I had a year after coming out to friends and uh, to colleagues and friends mm-hmm, and family. Mm-hmm. I had a year before I actually came to work presenting as myself, if you like. Okay. So I had this weird year where everyone knew that I was trans. But I was still presenting as male at work, oh, and that wow. was for really that was for really practical reasons. You know, I was I was on response. I was wearing helmets. I was you know I was doing the responsive military thing, and I, I, I couldn't 
But was that a bit of a head fuck for Handel you? Handel was a massive head fuck for me. That was, that was one of the hardest years of my life, actually. This whole duality of, you know, everywhere else I'm Isla, but I have to go and be this character at work. Yeah, like you're putting on a... Despite everyone at work knowing me outside of work as well. And it was, it was in hindsight, I, and they handled it brilliantly, my, my colleagues. They, they understood the, you know, the pragmatism of this, the yeah. realities of it. It was just, you know, a thing that I was dealing with. And, and But for me, it was, it was torture to have to pretend to be a guy in work. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I can't imagine. That must have been so hard. It was. Yeah. It must have been such a relief. I, th- I think I assumed I would deal with it better than I probably did. Actually, yeah. um, over over twelve months, that became a massive stress in, I bet. in life. Um, and, and and knowing that there was a um, you know a, a solution, if you like, or a way out on the horizon, that that way out became a, a massive focus. And of course, you know, the closer that gets, the more the tension gets waiting to get to that point. And yeah, yeah, it was it was. It was difficult, and it was you know only because of the the, the fact that we have a close knit team and the fact that I have you know this angel of a, <laughs> of a wife looking after me as well yeah. that, I, that I'm and, and and obviously very close friends and family that that got me through that. There must have been a huge relief when you finally went to work as Isla. Yeah, well, I mean as yourself, but being able which to is a really yourself. long way to come around to saying yes. At the end of that year, I had to go and see uniform stores and, and get all, and ch- <laughs> hand in all my male stuff and get all the female uniform. How was that when you first put on your uniform? That you knew that you should be wearing. Did it not feel normal? Like... Right, Do you know okay, what? Great. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like a big deal. It wasn't. Yeah. Sometimes that you know you, you see some of these old tropes on shows on television and things that you know the, the dresses come on or they're, they're stroking the clothes and they're all you know, euphoric about this moment of. I've never felt that. It's just like yeah, it's yeah, a, this it's works. a dress or it's a skirt or it's a whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally. old jeans or whatever else. I wear jeans most of the time. That's yeah, whatever. It's it's that's not. Me, I actually had this from a conversation with a, a colleague in the bar years after I'd after all of this. Uh, we were in the Falklands, and um, uh, one one evening we were chatting at the bar. He said, "So, I had to, how does it work then? You just like put on a dress one day and thought you carry on." I was like, "Not, not really." <laughs> I love the simplicity of bar chat. Thanks for asking. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for asking the question, and, and it led and on to a conversation. Of course, I'd much rather people had that conversation than not and and be scared of it yeah because you know, you know and then have... he's got way more understanding of you going no 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 no. So it did, started it, when i was got nothing to do with like the clothes or anything that's, yeah. that's not a a thing mm. you know that's that's not that's not the drive or, or what makes me me you know i'm not i'm not what clothes clothes are no of course um so yeah no it uh, do you know what the the it, it felt it just it just felt normal it was it was much like the feeling i had when um so I, when i had my my top surgery mm-hmm. my, my boobs them i wasn't sure how to, how i'd feel when I woke up or anything right. else, and when I did, it was just you know I I just looked in the mirror and it was just a sigh of relief. Really, it was just oh, that's a weight off, you know. Or I mean, it was, it was a weight on. Yeah, we can laugh about it now. Yeah, I mean, is that okay for me of to course. laugh? Is that really? Um, of course, I want to. Make sure I'm not doing the wrong thing. But that's... some of this stuff is funny. But that's the thing. I think that it's we all should right. try and find the light within all, right. all of the coming out stuff because you know, part of the reason I wanted to create this podcast is because I wish that something like this existed when I was feeling like I did, and I was feeling like such a bloody outsider, and I felt like I didn't have any mates. I didn't feel like there was anyone in the world like me. And if I could have heard people that were comfortable in themselves just having a laugh, yeah, I think I would have really managed to get around quite a bit of sort of. <laughs> Serious anxiety that I dealt with for a lot of my 20s. Yeah, um, even if someone was listening to it and thinking, oh, God, at least I'm handling it better than she is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Precisely. That's fine. That's um, fine. Can I ask you about the fact that you worked with Prince William? So Prince William was in, was he in Search and Rescue? Or was yes, he, he was. Just, he was, right. And there was some stuff with sort of the tabloid press and the sun. Was it weird suddenly being like a person in the media rather than just you? Yeah, it was, it was... I want to say frustrating. It was it was massively disempowering. I was um, you know this, I was suddenly the stereotype in the papers and you know, everything else. Many mostly I felt guilty. Really? Um, it, it just it, the timing was just in this sense terrible because it, I, I happened to be going through this life changing moment, still coming out to everyone. Um, it just happened to coincide that like six months or you know, three four months later, Prince William was joining our unit, and like I'm really sorry, boss. This is another thing to add to that mix. Um, and I, mostly I felt guilty that. 
I'd, you know, um, I, he, he's in the papers all the time for various things. But I felt guilty that I'd been a cause of some tabloid article about him and and, oh, and, God, and Catherine as well. And yeah, I, I, I felt mostly guilty about the trouble that I was causing. I suppose that's. Um, totally, but it, but totally I mean, misdirected. You well, like that, uh, in hindsight, I, mean, I didn't blame myself as such. Mm. I blamed the world, the papers, yeah, you know, the media. Um, What's it like when you're so you're at work and they say, by the way, Prince William's going to be joining our regiment. What's that like? Is that like sort of exciting or terrifying, or is it just normal? Just someone else is joining. It, it, I mean, of course, it, of course, it was exciting. Yeah. Um, the squadrons, by the way, on in the RAF. Sorry, not, not sorry. Before sorry. my army air corps colleagues. No, that's absolutely fine. And we won't <laughs> cut that bit because it's good to learn, guys. Yeah, it's, it's always good to learn. Every day's a school day. Absolutely. Um, and seeing as I got such bad GCSE results, I'm taking everything I can. That's so so the I'm, one thing I'm, I learned at the military uh, was was what to call stuff. <laughs> that's all. Um, no, it, it, of course, it was it was exciting. It was um, it, mostly it was it was a privilege. It was. It was it was managed you know, really well, of course, from the security and the and the, from the royal household side of things. So, from our perspective, it was you know this chap William is joining our unit. Outside of work, he's Prince William, but in work, he was just William. Yeah, and he was one of our pilots. Did you, know, you he refer was, to him as William? Uh, yeah, because oh, wow. because it, the whole point was it was this he was having a uh, you know for like a, a normal, normal job. job. Uh, and I definitely benefited from you know I was you know, out in the press, but I I felt that protection from the air force. That I suspect he probably felt a little bit of that as well, because yeah. whilst he was at work, actually the rest of the world couldn't get to him. He was—he was just being—you could relax a bit, I just guess. Just being a guy. And, and I had work. the same experience in in a different from a different direction. Absolutely. And so then, as you mentioned just then, you left the air force, mm-hmm. and now you work for the police search and rescue. Is that right? Yeah, National Police Air Service. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, so it's a, a borderless policing. Um, right. Okay. So we've got fifteen, uh, sorry, well, fourteen bases around the UK, and, and we, so what's that doing? It's a broadly similar job. We, okay. we, uh, it's a small team, so uh, there used to be a search and rescue, four of us on okay. the crew. Now, now there's three. It's me, the pilot, and two police officers. Um, right. And we've got a helicopter. The phone goes and we go and look for stuff. Right, OK, because all of my, <laughs> all of my knowledge, knowledge about policing is from The Fall or another sort of policey drama where they're like, we need a helicopter on this. You're that helicopter. We're that helicopter. OK, great. Yeah, yeah. I wanted yeah. to make sure. And that in I our understand. heads, it's that cool. OK, great. Um, so... What you're referred to, I've obviously done like some reading up on you and uh, finding out about you and uh, watching different clips of you. You're sort of quite often referred to as a role model now. Mm-hmm. You're pulling a face. Cringe. cringe. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Do you feel it's? Uh, it, you know, we're all role models to someone at some sure. point, you know. Mm-hmm. And and um, I, I'm, I'm a hot mess most of the time. So as we all are. Yeah. So your role models mostly are hot messes behind the scenes. Yes. Um, but the character, if you like, that is the role model for someone. Yeah. Is is really useful. Can can be useful for people. You know, you probably have people write to you and say, you know, thank you. You were a beacon for me, or you're, well, that's you've helped, you've helped me through some stuff. Some and, days. <laughs> you know. Um, and and you know, we we all get that sometimes. Yeah. And if you can do it for one person, that's wonderful. Yeah. I guess. And could we talk? Just seeing as we role model doesn't mean special. No, no, that's a nice way of putting it. Could we speak for a little bit? Because you're a patron of Mermaids, which yeah. is a brilliant charity. They are. Could you explain what they do? Because I feel like I might mm-hmm. mess it up. Um, so Mermaids is a UK charity um, supporting um, transgender children, uh, very young people, and their families. Right. Okay. And I mean, of course, it would it would be such a normal thing for you to want to reach out to that because I feel like there's so much. Shit in the press, I guess that's the best way of calling it. Yeah. Especially there was a lot about mermaids and about it's this it, and that and children having hormones and blockers. And, and yeah. Actually, a lot of it is bollocks, there's, there's, there's an awful lot of deliberate shit in the press as well. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, I guess, the frustrating thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking <laughs> talking for myself here. This is not, of this course, does yeah. not represent the views no. of mermaids. But yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's sometimes it's very deliberate most of the time i suspect it's just general ignorance i guess mm-hmm. or or fear they've read that and gone oh that feels a bit scary i don't understand it let's default to there's probably a conspiracy or or something to be fearful of here and that's that's a human reaction to stuff and sometimes a lot of that stuff seems to be sort of we're giving children hormones but actually from all of the reading that i've done that's not the case it's not is the case. it no no uh, so children develop at different rates okay um at an appropriate point um under you know a lot of medical care a lot of you know you don't you don't go to your gp and get any of this it's it's years worth of waiting and then assessment well before. that's the thing that and then and then you get hormone blockers yes that's it 
Because that's the thing, because people in the press will have you believe, well, in the right-wing press, will have you believe, like, you know, that you literally go, do you know what? I'm a tomboy. Yeah. And you know, and and that may, and, and you know I was but the, a tomboy. But the great but... thing is that that, that can be explored. All that stuff can be explored. Yeah. In a, in a, in a way that just depressurizes the whole situation. Totally. It's like you you discover who will help you. You discover who you are yeah. and what's right for you. Yeah. You might be trans. You might not. It's all good. It's all fine. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you know I was definitely a tomboy. But I always I was always very comfortable with being a girl. But I think that's the problem with some of this sort of broad brushstroke bad journalism is that it's an easier story to say, oh, well, this boy was feminine and now... Yeah, and, you know, and, 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 and to and, always and, find the the, um, the example and use that as the rule for everyone. Absolutely, the one you story <laughs> where someone's gone, oh, this wasn't right for it's me. Like, it's like, well, what about the know. thousands of people it has been right for? Yeah, uh, and, and there, there is an element as well that's um, it, it's it's absolutely right for some. You know, it's, it's, some of the kids I, I work with, are, you know, uh, through uh, Mermaid's Residentials and things are, um, you know, six, seven, really young kids mm. and what's lovely actually is is there's no ambiguity for some of these kids they they some of them you meet and you're like yeah, you're you're a boy you're a girl you, you are who you say you are mm-hmm. you're not worried about this and neither should i be um certainly not enough to to deny that what they're saying is true or, or that they really do feel that way and they're not running around worrying about in that moment when the pressure's off they're not worried about being trans or being a boy or being a girl. They're just playing. They're just playing. They're playing zombies or whatever whatever yeah, kids absolutely. play. They're just playing and it's wonderful. They're just being kids. And and that's kind of all that we're trying to, you know, through mermaids or through um, medical supports, is trying to provide that space that they can just be kids. They can just grow in a way that's not deeply uncomfortable for them. Yeah. Why would anyone make a stand um, against any of that? Yeah. Um, so the final question. What... The teenage you, or even the you at university, if you could like pick up a phone and give them a bit of advice, or yeah. what, what do you think you would say to them? I mean, I'd you know trust yourself more because I because I didn't I did I didn't I, I was going through the motions I think and hoping that like I say hoping that it would work out somehow. Um, I hope I, would, I I'm really happy with with my life now. Of course I am. You know, I've yes. got uh, I've got a beautiful wife. I've got a lovely home. I've got you know, a great job and everything. I, I love my life. And I, I wouldn't want to not be where I'm, where I am. I just wish it hadn't been quite such a ordeal to get there, if you like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, trust yourself and and trust your judgment. Trust trust you are okay. I guess don't second guess yourself all the time. I like that. We should all trust ourselves a bit more. Um, thank you so much. Fascinating conversation. And it's just yeah, I do think you're a role model, but you're also a very normal person. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what we're all trying That's to be, okay. right? <laughs> Thanks, Susie. Thank you so much to Isla for sharing her story. I loved that. I'm sure you did too. As ever, please tweet, rate and review and tell your mates about the show. If you want to get in touch, please do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be back with a brand new episode next week. Mm-hmm.